Welcome to the Teen Life Podcast, where we believe that teenagers are not a problem to be solved, but we are here to help you equip teenagers through the power of connection. Hey guys, this is Chris Roby, and back at it with me is Carly Duke. Hello. Hey Carly, so um, we are talking a lot about mental health uh, on the podcast mm-hmm. lately, and we, you know, we have had certain runs where we've kind of touched on certain topics, and especially in an earlier iteration of the Teen Life Podcast, we uh, did quite a few interviews with experts on mental health. But this is just a this is a topic that we we get asked about a lot and is in the conversation with teenagers, and that is a topic topic of anxiety. And uh, we want to spend some time today talking through anxiety, what it is, what it isn't, um, you know, when to be concerned. Um, because, you know, as we talked about in other episodes, our our nervous system is uh, at pretty high alert all the time right mm-hmm. now. We have lots of inputs. Um, we don't rest very well. Um, there's just a lot of things that um, are uh, competing um, for our attention and our time. And it just causes things to feel like they're overloaded all the time. And sure. so you're going to get a lot of teenagers, especially developing, you know, that they don't know how to handle all this. And that's why it's such an important uh, part of our conversation. Right. And I think just if you think back of when you were a teenager, that lack of control sometimes, insecurities that come up. And so I think for at a minimum, anxiety kind of lives in the background for a lot of teenagers. Mm-hmm. But for some, it is chronic enough serious enough that it can interfere with their ability to go to school, to make friends, to be in healthy relationships, to participate in extracurriculars and hobbies. And so that's really what we want to talk about today is I feel like we've talked about the, and I can link these. um, We've done an episode on, on anxiety, like you've said, we've done one on social awkwardness, but today I also want to talk about anxiety from a more serious standpoint of like when it is debilitating when it mm-hmm. does impact their actions and what they're doing what does that look like and how can we help them let's start just chris like what are the signs and obviously this is going to differ from kid to kid so mm-hmm. they're not all going to look the same and honestly these can cover like when i was looking them up i was like oh that's a lot of different things mm-hmm. that it can be but i think excessive fear worrying kind of that feeling of inner restlessness they can be wary or vigilant. Um, in social settings, they might appear dependent or withdrawn or uneasy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it, in social settings, that's really where you see it come out. And then they're either sometimes overly restrained and quiet or even overly emotional. That's depending on how they process it. Right, exactly. So that can kind of swing both ways. And then they might have like these preoccupation with worries of like losing control or maybe you might even think their worries are unrealistic and kind of be like, why are you even worrying about that? Right, right. And some kids kind of just kind of run hot on this kind of stuff anyways. You know, you, you hear parents say, my kid's just kind of anxious, you know, overly, mm-hmm. o- overly anxious. And, you know, I think, I think some of that can be, you know, seasonal. You know, there's certain times or um, maybe even certain times of the day or certain things, you know, is coming up that you just, that they're just run a little hot on their, on their mm-hmm. emotions and their, um, they're showing this worth of fidgeting or, you know, biting their nails or any of those kinds of things, which we're going to talk about this, the physical symptoms here in a second, but, but you're right. This isn't like really out, out of the ordinary behavior for most people <laughs> at some yeah. point, you know? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think that's where 
when you're seeing several of these and when you're seeing it paired with, like we said, like they're not able to do normal activities or it is like they're staying home instead of going out because of these worries, Mm -hmm. that's when you really want to pay attention to it. But as Chris said, there are also physical symptoms. And I feel like where I've heard from parents bring this up is kids will be like, I can't go to school because of X, Y, Z, and they're doing physical symptoms and parents get really frustrated and maybe even sometimes think they're making it up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can, like these mental health issues can manifest in actual real physical symptoms um, and they're really feeling them. So sometimes it looks like muscle tension and cramps, probably mm-hmm. just from like being that, like holding that in all the time, stomach aches, headaches, You might, they might have pain um, in their limbs or in their back fatigue, like being really tired often, um, sometimes discomfort associated with like puberty changes. Mm-hmm. Um, they may, well, I, I pulled one, some of this and I'll obviously always put my sources in the show notes, but one of them say they might blotch. And I was like, what does blotch mean? <laughs> I had to look it up. Uh-huh. And then when I was like, oh, like blotchy, like their skin uh-huh. gets blotchy is what that means. I just like wasn't putting that together, uh-huh. but they might be flushed. They might sweat, hyperventilate, tremble, startle really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are some of the physical symptoms that you might see if your teenager is struggling with anxiety. I also think too that, um, you know, sleep patterns would be affected as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a time of high anxiety, I know sure. if I'm anxious about something, I don't sleep well. Yeah. Um, and, and eating, which obviously, eating habits probably too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that would, con- that would contribute to the fatigue as well that mm-hmm. you listed here. Yeah, definitely. So just to get a little bit into causes, which I feel like sometimes is a guess because we don't always know what's happening, but some researchers believe that there is a predisposition towards like being timid and being nervous. And that is something that kids or people are born with. Hmm. Um, one thing to note too, is I also saw that if like, especially if one parent is naturally anxious, there's a good chance that their child will also have those tendencies, whether that is genetic or because it's modeled hmm. in their home. Um, and so, like I said, like your a parent's own uneasiness or an adult in their life that they're very close to, if they are having feelings of unease, it is going to also translate into the child. And the tip I actually, today we're going to talk about how to be a non-anxious presence Mm -hmm. for your teenager. So we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast to stick around for that. Um, But it's just very interesting that that can play out that way that it sometimes they're predisposed, predisposed. You got this. I don't know that. I'm just going to move on. Predisposed. Thank you. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna move on i know words but yes so it's interesting to look into that kind of stuff and sometimes you might need to look at their environment and see what's going on that could be causing that as well it's so interesting too it's nature and nurture conversation Mm -hmm. and you know how how a a student arrives you you really just can't tell i think that it could be a a mix obviously of of just genetics but also um, I do think the modeling thing is really important. I'm I'm excited that we're going to be you know talking about this towards the end because I think we do have s- at least play some role uh, in helping alleviate um, some of those anxieties. Um, but um, I think that's uh, really interesting. You brought that up. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to consequences of anxiety, I think some of these when you hear them, you'll be like, "Oh, that makes sense," but I don't know that we always think about it. Um, school avoidance is a big one. I think that we see with teenagers Mm -hmm. and we did an episode on school back to school anxiety after the pandemic, but 
like if there's a change at school, if they're moving schools, if they're moving from middle school to high school, or they had a bad experience at school, maybe with a friend or a teacher, that can lead to anxiety that then makes them not want to go to school. Mm -hmm. And so that's something. It could also be triggered by something unrelated to school, a divorce, an illness, a death in the family, something like that, or something tragic that happens to them. We talked about school shootings recently. That obviously can lead to anxiety. Um, And so some kids might be fearful about that of like, am I safe? Is this something that I need to be worried about? And then just as far as we see this, Chris, in our groups, but a worried or anxious teenager performs less well at school, in sports, and in social interactions. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that doesn't, isn't just mental health. It bleeds into other areas of their life and it is going to impact how well they perform in those as well, which can then lead to more anxiety. Well, too, I think um, if you have a student who is conflict avoidant or there's, there's something happening in their life where there's relational conflict, you know, between peers, I think um, that can cause a lot of anxiety too, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if it's, you know, socially or, you know, social media driven, any of those kinds of things where it would just cause where they they know they got to deal with something. And, and, you know, you know, a lot of students just don't even know why um, they feel anxious. Uh, But, a lot of times that is there's just there's some kind of a relational conflict they're dealing with um, that they don't know how to deal with or they don't want to deal with. Uh, can bring up that anxiety as well, you know, to add to the list of all these other consequences. I will say just anecdotally, I've had good friends and family members who have struggled with anxiety. And I, especially as a teenager and as a kid, would have always said, and probably my parents too, that I was a worrier. Mm-hmm. But anxiety is different. Mm-hmm. And so I want to point out before we kind of go into like how we can help teenagers know that like it is, I've said this before, like I wish I could understand and I don't, even as empathetic as I can be towards someone who struggles with anxiety, I'll never know exactly what that feels like because Mm -hmm. just being worried about something and having like actual anxiety that changes the way that you act or think is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think going into this, like having under, trying to have understanding for our teenagers, but also knowing like, I might not be able to put myself in their shoes and I might not understand. They also probably don't understand what's happening or why mm. they feel this way. Absolutely. And it's a scary place to be. I think some questions that we get, Chris, is when it comes to anxiety, like, can I handle this on my own or do we need to talk to a professional? Yeah. And I, I before you jump into this part, I think this is this is important um, because when we talk about mental health, um, a lot of terms are thrown around and mm-hmm. oftentimes are not given the, the same level of weight or importance. So you'll hear this conversation a lot around trauma um, mm-hmm. where you, you know, even to where now people talk about big T trauma and little t trauma, you know, so like. People will say just off the cuff, oh, I was just so traumatized by that when that's not really what we're talking about here. And sometimes anxiety and depression can be thrown there too, where it's like, oh, I'm so anxious or, you know, my anxiety is crippling me when, like you talked about, maybe you're worried. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is, you know, this is really where if you are in doubt, might be good to kind of pay attention, lean in on this part of the conversation because, you know, we don't ever want to discount, but we also too want to make sure we know how to just cope with basic life, life stresses. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's just it's when it enters the public zeitgeist it can really be misunderstood sure so when it comes to i don't want to say when it's bad enough but when it maybe it's serious enough to seek a professional mm-hmm. um kind of the rule of thumb that i saw is if fearfulness or worry or anxiety takes over your teenager's life and limits their activities or if their anxiety lasts for over six months it's best to seek a professional Mm-hmm. I'll also say if your teenager comes to you and says, I think I need to talk to a professional, I would take that very seriously. Absolutely. Even if you haven't seen these yet, um, trust them and know that they know their mind and their body better than you do. And like, it probably won't hurt for them to go talk to someone that's not you mm-hmm. um, and get the help that they need. Um, I will say too, I've read that sometimes different medications or illnesses can cause anxiety or cause symptoms that look like anxiety. So it might be worth talking to your child's pediatrician or doctor first to kind of see like, hey, is this a could this be a symptom of a medication that they've been taking? Or this is what we've been seeing. Um, if you feel like you need to go down that route too. I will say in most cases, like if you're kind of wondering, well, what does treatment look like for anxiety? It's going to be different from case to case, but they're going to focus on reducing the symptoms of anxiety. They're going to talk about relieving their distress. They want to prevent complications. And obviously, the main thing that a professional or a counselor is going to want to do is minimize the effects on their social life, their school life, and their development. And so sometimes that might look like, let's come up with coping skills. Sometimes that might look like medication, um, but it's different for every kid. And it's different um, probably for every counselor too. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Chris though. Like if you feel like my teenager is not at the point where they need a professional or maybe they are seeking a professional, but how can we help them outside of that too? Whether that is at school and you know that you have a student who's anxious or in your home and you have a child who's anxious. Like let's talk about how you can respond and help them as well. Well, if they're willing to talk about their fears and their worries, take stop and take time to simply listen mm-hmm. um you know anxiety is often induced just by the the sheer volume of things that are happening and if you as a parent or helper are too busy to even stop and listen or take it seriously that would increase that anxiety and so take take time to stop and listen um try to help them track those feelings and what triggered it and so whether or not it's kind of keeping a real-time journal or, um, mm-hmm. you know, a note on their phone or like, Hey, you know, and, and, and there's some mindfulness stuff with that too. We, we've, we've talked through mindfulness before, um, to be able to understand, Oh, it's not normal to feel up here all the time. <laughs> um, if you've not felt a, a sense of peace or just feeling, uh, you know, calm, you know, maybe track what that feels like as you, as you move throughout your day. Sure. Also, think reassuring them that like Mm -hmm. their concerns are real, even if you're sitting there going like, they don't need to be worried about that or they can totally do that. Be like, hey, I understand your concerns or like, I see that you're concerned about this, but also pointing out like you're probably more than likely capable Mm -hmm. of handling it. And I feel like something we do a lot in our groups, Chris, is even saying like, let's think back on times when you were worried about this and it turned out okay. And bringing that back in of like, all right, you have done hard things. You have survived things like this that have happened before right. and you can do it again. I think there's a lot of great 
um, content out there on just techniques uh, around dealing with mm-hmm. the anxiety, at least just to kind of make it, at least help it be more manageable um, in, in, the non, in the non-clinical yeah. setting. And most of the stuff that you see out there, even if it doesn't work, isn't necessarily going to harm you. So some of stuff, you know, we, we talked about breathing techniques on this podcast and, you know, mm-hmm. it's never going to hurt you to breathe more. <laughs> Um, but, um, just think <laughs> things that you can, you, you, sometimes it's a simple Google search or, you know, just trying to find some really good stuff or like, you know, the numerous places we've talked about on this podcast of ways you can, um, deal with anxiety, um, and, and, and in the future. Yeah. I also think, especially if your student is feeling like they need to limit what they do because of anxiety mm-hmm. or because of worries, recognize when they do something that they don't want to and you know, hey, I know you didn't want to go to that or I know that was really difficult for you and I'm proud of you. And I would say, especially as adults, if we can say and recognize like, hey, you tried and that's what matters, not even how well it turned out. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you tried a new sport and you might not be the best at it, but you got out of your comfort zone and you tried it and recognize the effort that's going in And then we can work on like, how can we get better in that? But like, I think sometimes it's easy as parents or as adults in their life to like focus on the end result. And sometimes it's really just that they got there. Mm -hmm. And then finally, I'll say just some quick things not to do. Don't discount their feelings. Mm. I think that's a big no, no. Don't kind of be like, you're worried about nothing. This is silly. Don't say stuff like that to them. Um, That can be really harmful and don't rush their process. I know that that's hard to do sometimes, but patience is really, really key when talking to a student with anxiety. And I will say next episode, we're going to talk more in depth about panic attacks or like panic disorders. So if your student has anxiety and it is showing itself as a panic attack, we'll talk about those specifically in the next episode. For the trend this week, Chris, I kind of want to continue. Last week, we talked about college decisions And I just briefly wanted to talk about gap years because I think this is something that is coming up more and more, especially since the pandemic. I saw the Gap Year Association and I'll post their link, but they estimate on average that between 40,000 and 60,000 students take a gap year each academic year. And that number rose to an estimated 130,000 students during the 2020-2021 school year. So that first year after the pandemic. So Carly, before we get, was this a thing uh, when you were graduating high school? I don't recall when or, uh, I, this being a thing. No, I don't think as much. When I was in school, I knew more people that did this, but this sounds bad. People that I knew that took gap years, typically it was seen like as they couldn't cut it or they were struggling with something outside. You know what I mean? It wasn't looked at like, oh, cool. They're taking a gap year to find themselves. That's not really how it was viewed. Interesting. Um, but I'll say now it's seen kind of as a semester, a year of like, they're getting experiences, they're learning. It often takes place either in between high school and college or in between college and starting their career. So you can kind of see it two places of maybe they take like after college and before they start their job or trying to figure out what they actually want to do. They might take a gap year in there. Hmm. Um, some choose to take it in the middle, but that's kind of mostly when you see it but they might travel, they might volunteer, they might find a job or do a short-term program because that's what the Gap Year Association does is they help students access kind of opportunities. And there are lots of programs out there that are just 
a semester or a year that you can go and do, and that's their specific purpose. And so I'll say benefits. There really are some benefits that can offer a break for mental health if students just need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, it can give them life experience. If you have a student maybe who you're like, I don't know if they're ready to go to college or they haven't had a lot of experiences traveling and having a job could really help that. Some do it to work and save money mm. so that when they go to school, they're better set up. It also helps them figure out what they actually want to do. If they're going into college going, I have no idea what they want to do. Maybe take a break and make sure you're not wasting time on classes that you're not actually going to end up using or wasting money going to a school that's not going to be helpful for you. And then also maybe a student didn't get into the school that they wanted to get into. Mm. And so they could take a year or semester and take community classes or something to kind of bulk up their resume and try again. Yeah, I can see, you know, if you if if your student has that that um I guess that margin or that privilege to be able to do that, I think this could be incredibly helpful, especially mm-hmm. you know, just around uncertainty. Um there's just, you know, think about if this was a thing whenever I was uh in the in the college years of um because I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> and I know a lot of students don't. There's a lot of pressure in that of like yeah. making that choice. And I could see this, you know, if it's a, an available option, saving a student from making kind of a bad decision when it comes mm-hmm. to their schooling or kind of what's next. Because they didn't have the time to really, you know, make that decision. Yeah. I will say some quick advice mm-hmm. that I found while I was looking into this. Experts advise you if they think they might want to go to college, go ahead and apply for that in high school, even if they're going to take a gap year. There are just more resources available. There are school counselors that can help you. And then kind of maybe after you get admitted into that school, most schools have some sort of policy for a gap year and that you can defer your enrollment. Hmm. And so that's a conversation that you can have after. Um, I'll say keep your options open. I saw that there were lots of people who said like at the beginning of their senior year, they thought I'm definitely doing a gap year and didn't apply to school. And then at the end when everyone was graduating and all their friends were going to school, they were like, oh, I don't know if I want to do a gap year anymore. Mm. But by that point, they had limited themselves. And so take all the options you can and then you have a decision instead of being forced into a gap year. Um, And then finally, I'll say gap years are most effective when they're actually doing something. Mm. When there's a plan just saying I'm taking a gap year and staying home and laying on the couch or playing video games is not going to set them up for success in the future. So make sure they have a plan. Make sure they are doing something that is going to help them with their eventual career. Whether that's college or not doesn't have to be college, but just make sure that you are helping your student set themselves up for success. Okay, finally, Chris, let's get into this tip of how you can be a non-anxious presence for a student. And I'll just say that kind of when I think of non-anxious, this is someone who is calm, they're focused, they empower others to be relaxed. They're not kind of like bringing up the stress level because they're stressed, if that makes sense. And I think if you're listening to this, you know exactly who we're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we all have that person in our lives that we like, man, I want more of that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. And so some tips that I have for being non-anxious, especially with teenagers, the first thing is don't get too drawn into their story or their drama. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to listen. We want to be really good listeners and re- be respectful of their feelings. But if you can be, be an unbiased listener. So if you get caught up in their emotions, 
if you're like, man, I can't believe they do that. And you start crying with them or things like that. We talk about being shockproof a lot on this podcast, but if you get drawn into that, it can actually make their anxiety feel validated instead of empowering them that it's something that they can overcome. I think also just trusting your instincts, take a deep Mm -hmm. breath, you know, trust, trust your gut, so to speak. Um, You don't have to get caught up in having to say the right thing all the time. Um, Just be a curious listener um, and be present, be vulnerable, but be a steady presence. Um, Oftentimes, you know, your answers or your advice are just not actually what they need. Um, But, (laughs) but being willing to, just say, well, this is kind of how this strikes me, um, but more should what you think. Um, but being that curious listener can be the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. I also think it's important to kind of set your judgments aside before you go into conversations. Make sure that they want feedback and advice mm-hmm. before you give it. And if they do, try to give it in a way that shows support, not judgment for things that they've done in the past or how they're feeling. Um, And like I said at the beginning, if you've never struggled with anxiety, you might never understand. And so try to set that aside of like, I can't judge them based on how I feel um, because that's not fair. I think the one of the best anecdotes for anecdotes for judgment is good questions. And so Mm -hmm. it's hard to judge people when you're asking good. Yes. Good questions. Um, We we really believe in this teen life when we talk about a lot of just asking curious questions, uh, not necessarily questions that are leading or trying to get you to a certain place. Uh, but just know that your questions are really important and qualify your questions if you need to. Um, if they, if, if, if a question, you know, feels jud- more judgmental than you're trying to get across, you know, explain why you're asking the question just to make sure you understand mm-hmm. better. Uh, but while you're doing this modeling, staying calm and regulation, r- regulating your own emotions yeah, um, is one of the most powerful things you can do uh, for someone who is anxious of, 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 of presenting yourself as that calm presence in the middle uh, of an, an anxious storm um, uh, in the life of a teenager. So with that, we're going to call it a wrap on this episode. We're so glad that you joined us. Uh, we ask, as always, that you subscribe to our podcast. It's the easiest way to find our content uh, every Tuesday. Uh, follow us on social media to see what's happening with Teen Life and find really great uh, content, uh, additional content that we provide for the helpers, for those of you guys who are here for, for, for teenagers just like us. Uh, text this episode to a friend, especially if you have a friend who has a teenager who's dealing with anxiety. This would be a really helpful one to send on. Uh, review us on your favorite podcast app. Make sure that people know um, that this is something worth listening to because we think it is. Uh, And with that, we will see you next week.